Well, happy Resurrection Sunday morning to everybody, Stapleton Baptist Church. A happy Easter. Uh, Christ is risen. I can't hear you, but I trust those of you at Stapleton Baptist know I'm expecting you to respond by saying Christ is risen indeed. That's a traditional Easter greeting that's gone back uh, way longer than Stapleton Baptist has been in existence. And it's one of my favorite greetings uh, that the church gets to use. And honestly, we could use it on any Sunday morning because the reason that we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday in the first place is because Christ is risen. And today is the day that we celebrate that. Um, so I'm so glad to be with you, at least in a fashion, on Easter Sunday morning, and you have my promise as your pastor that the first Sunday we can actually all be in the same room again without threatening life and limb unnecessarily. We will have the, the best comeback Sunday Stapleton Baptist has ever had, and we're going to celebrate it just like it's Easter. Um, so uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, a passage about the resurrection from Luke chapter 24, and I was going to read uh, Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 12 uh, just out of scripture uh, but talking over today's service with Mark uh, he had the great idea why don't we turn this into a responsive reading so how are we going to do a responsive reading you ask with me here truthfully on Saturday night and you there where you are on Sunday morning well I've got some slides for you my words are going to be in white yours are going to be in yellow so that they stand out and then I'm going to read my lines and give you a few seconds to say yours uh, together as a family, and then we'll go back and forth until we've gone all the way through Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. So I wanted to get a little bit of interactivity here this morning, uh, maybe feel like we're all together a little bit. So uh, go ahead and get ready, and we'll get started reading through some scripture together. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Then they remembered his words, and when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. I'm so glad to be celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with you this Easter morning. Uh, so we've read uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 together. The passage that I actually want us to study this morning is Luke chapter 24, verses 33 through 43. So I'm going to actually pull out my Bible and I'm going to read that. I'm not going to have it on the screen, but as we study it and we break it down into its three parts this morning, you will have the words on the screen. So uh, let's read some scripture together uh, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. The passage today is Luke chapter 24, um, verses 33 through 43. And the reading is, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, thank you so much um, for sending your son for us to die, but Lord, thank you even more for him being alive today. Uh, Lord Jesus, we're here to celebrate um, your life and the life that you give to us. So thank you for being our risen, conquering Savior. It's in your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to look at Luke chapter 23 or 24 verses 33 through 43 and see three truths about Jesus that we can learn today. And they all have to do with Jesus being alive. That's kind of on theme for today, that we're all talking about the fact that Jesus is alive, which is what we should be talking about uh, every Sunday. But today we're going to focus in on it a little bit more. So first, I want us to see that Jesus is alive and Scripture predicted it. Jesus is alive and Scripture predicted it. So starting in verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. <clears throat> so I want to talk about a couple of interesting things in the language of these first verses. If you read them closely, you think what's happened. Now, who are, who are these men? First, let's, let's talk for just a minute about who these men are. If you actually go back and you look earlier in Luke 24, if you've ever heard about the walk to Emmaus, um, this is Resurrection Easter Sunday morning. Um, it's the, the day that this occurs on. Uh, there are two men who are in some way, shape, or form disciples of Jesus. They're not members of the, the 12, or rather the 11 at this point. Judas is already gone. Uh, but they're not part of Jesus's uh, really inner circle of disciples, but they very much um, are students. They're, they're, they're followers of Jesus. Uh, we just don't know their name. We learn one of their names on the way uh, to, to Emmaus um, from Jerusalem. But outside of this story, we don't really hear much more uh, about them. Well, they're on their way walking back, and, and the risen Jesus uh, just comes walking along with them. He says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, well, or, you know, one of them, I think his name's Cleopas. I'm not going to pull out my Bible to look up the name Cleopas. I laugh about him because he's the, the one guy that gets a name because he asked Jesus, are you the one stranger that's been living in a rock in Jerusalem and doesn't know what's going on uh, with Jesus of Nazareth? So it's almost kind of like he gets his name because one day in heaven we're going to be like, hey, you dum-dum, you're the one who asked Jesus if he knew what was going on. Um, but they have this whole long conversation with Jesus where Jesus says, um, foolish and slow to believe, um, you know, haven't, he actually says in 25 and 27, which we'll see uh, here in just a second, he says to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is talking to Cleopas and whoever this other guy is, and he's walking on the way back from, he's walking on the way to Emmaus with them and has this whole long conversation where he explains all throughout the Bible how everything referred to him 
It all pointed to him. And they get to, they get to Emmaus and they sit down and invite him to eat with them. And Jesus prays and breaks bread. And it says their eyes are opened and they recognized that he was Jesus. Uh, so that you can see this here. It came to pass, just as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So Jesus is meeting with these two men, and they recognize right at the end that it's Jesus, and then he vanishes, then he's gone. So they get up, and they immediately run back, uh, to Jerusalem. It may have been that same day. It's already close to evening. So, you know, some folks are like, oh, see, this is how you can tell the Bible's false. They couldn't have made it that quick. All it means is that they got up and went as fast as they could. Come on, guys. So they get up and they head back to Jerusalem and they get there. And we see in verse 33, I'll back up to it for you so you can see it. Uh, it says they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they find the 11 and those who are with them gathered together saying, now here's a common misunderstanding. You read this passage and you think it's the men coming back from Emmaus who are telling the 11 something, but that's not the case. It's the, the 11 and those who are gathered with them say to the folks from Emmaus when they come back in, the Lord's risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Well, so Jesus appears to these guys on the way to Emmaus and at some point, between there and when they get back to Jerusalem, he also appears to Peter. So Jesus is just going through all of his disciples, making sure that, hey, I, I want to make sure folks know that I'm alive. Two things happened on the road to Emmaus with these guys. At first, Jesus opens, uh, he opens scriptures up to them. It says he expounds to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, man, I wish I could have been there for that Bible study. That would have been really cool. Uh, to be there and see Jesus just go all through scriptures and say, this was about me, this was about me, this was about me, this was about me. The truth is that it's all about him. And walking to Emmaus, he showed these guys that, that he opened scriptures to them. And then the second thing he does is he breaks bread with them. And that's when they recognize him, that he breaks bread and they see him and they recognize, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. But then look at what they go back to. They go back to when he opened the scriptures to us. They go back to when he opened scriptures to us. Do you know that if you were to look at scriptures to them, by the way, it's not the New Testament. I'm not saying the New Testament is not scripture. I'm just saying they didn't have the New Testament to go back and read because they were the New Testament. They were living it. There was no passage about the men walking to Emmaus for them to read because they were the men walking to Emmaus. The only scriptures that they had to reference were the Old Testament. So when Jesus is expounding the scriptures to them, he's expounding to them from the Old Testament that it was always the plan for the Messiah to come, be killed, to be buried, and to rise again. This was always God's plan. His disciples just couldn't see that past the darkness of his death at the time. But in the brightness of his resurrection, the scriptures became clear to them and they saw it. So you've got these men from Emmaus that are looking at Scripture and saying, wow, okay, now we understand it. Now that he's explained it, this was about him the whole time. And then they run back to Jerusalem and they're going to tell the, the other disciples this, but, next, but, but they don't even know that Jesus has already been there and seen them as well. After this point, really after this point, and not so much before, after this point, you start to see the apostles use this approach. 
where when, especially when they're dealing with the Jewish community, they go back to the Old Testament. We know it is the Old Testament. They go back to the Old Testament and they say, see, this was Jesus. This was Jesus. This was Jesus. This was Jesus. And they point it out over and over and over again. I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 31, uh, this is Peter speaking. He says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely of you, or freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. And now this is not, if you look in your Bible, this is not in there. Do you see right here at the bottom where it says Psalm 16 at the end of this quote? I added that there so that you could see. You might have it in a footnote, but I put that on the screen so that you could know that Peter is quoting Psalm 16 right now. He's quoting Psalm 16 and saying, David, a prophet writing inspired scripture, wrote this about Jesus' resurrection. Spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That the apostles are now taking this approach, particularly in dealing with the Jews, and challenging them. If you would read your Bible, you would see that it's been about Jesus this entire time. He's in there, and it's obvious. Let me point it out to you, and then you've got to decide what to do with it. That Christ being alive was predicted in Scripture, that the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was always what the story of Scripture was about, and now the apostles are going on the offensive, and they're saying, pull out your Bibles and see if I'm lying. And Peter uses that in a sermon. Second, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 17. He says, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. In other words, Paul says, what we know, we're not hiding behind anything. We're just putting it out there for everybody to see it in the light of day. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. In other words, the law, the, the ritual way of interacting with God where we couldn't go straight to him. There was a separation. There's this veil that, that the impurity kept us from being in the presence of God. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. If you read the Old Testament and you look at the law and you look at all of the things in Scripture that tell you you're not perfect, you're not good enough, that's right. You're not perfect. You're not good enough. And no amount of goats or bulls or turtle doves or trying or checklists or Sunday school attendance uh, record books, none of them are going to take that veil out of the way so that you can behold God with an unveiled face. Nothing's going to do that. The way that you can understand what it's like to be in the presence of God, the way that you can have the assurance of that is exactly what Paul said. The veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you read your Old Testament, and you read it with the understanding that God gave us this book so that we could understand and recognize Jesus when he got here, you will see him on every page. It has always been about Jesus. It's about Jesus today the same way it was about Jesus then. And the cool thing is we have the same scriptures that they had when Jesus was expounding those scriptures to them saying, this is about me. So I challenge you, go back, 
read Psalm 16, read Psalm 22, read Isaiah 53, really read Isaiah 50, 51, 52, and 53. Go back and read Genesis 3, when God prophesies that, you know, one day, Eve, you're going to bear a son, and he's going to crush this snake's head. Yeah, go back and read all of the prophecies that you can find throughout the Old Testament. If you're interested in what some of those are, reach out to me. I'd be glad to help you see them. That Jesus being alive was predicted by Scripture. His death, burial, and resurrection was always God's plan. Second, I want you to see that Jesus is alive and he is human. Now, this almost seems like a gimme, right? That Jesus is alive and he's human. How are we celebrating on Easter if he's not human? Well, believe it or not, this is a... this is actually been debated uh, throughout history. This is debated by some factions that might call themselves Christian today. But I want to look at what the text actually says and then talk a little bit about what it means that Jesus is alive and he is human. Luke chapter 24 verses 36 through 39, the next part of our text, read, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. He's there physically and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I am. So the bodily resurrection of Jesus is crucial. He appeared in the flesh. This is crucial. Look at, what, look at what Luke wrote. He says in verse 39, Behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit, Greek word pneuma, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Any of you who've ever used pneumatic tools before, what are they powered by? They're powered by air. They're powered by wind. So pneumatic comes from the Greek word pneuma, that it's, it's incorporeal, it's immaterial, it's not physical, that it is, it's just almost kind of like a breath. That's why the word spirit in Hebrew is the word ruach, and it, it can mean spirit and breath. It can mean spirit and wind. So they think that they have seen something incorporeal. Clearly, they couldn't be seeing Jesus himself because they watched him die, right? Uh, but no, Jesus says, I'm not a spirit. Handle me. See, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I, I have. So this is very important that we make the distinction that Jesus is appearing resurrected in the flesh. So let's talk about some of the reasons that this is important. So first, you've just got the fact right here that Jesus claimed he is alive in the flesh. He is a living human being. So he says that right there in this passage. Second, I want you to look at John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. This is a prediction that Jesus makes in the early, uh, early parts of the gospel of John. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So when you look at John chapter 22, verses 19 through 22, the resurrection is coupled inseparably with a bodily resurrection. That if Jesus rises in any way, shape, or form that does not include his living human body walking out of that tomb, he lied in John chapter 2. Okay, so Jesus has got to be risen physically just because he said that's what's going to happen. 
And if he's God, he's not going to make a mistake like that. So Jesus is God. He said he's going to rebuild this temple in three days. He's talking about his body. Three days later, when he rises, he brings his body with him. He is inhabiting it. Again, his body is alive. So John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. <clears throat> Let's jump into the same chapter as our text this morning. Luke 24, verse 12. Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So when Peter goes to the tomb, what does he see? He sees the grave cloths. There's no body in them. The body is gone. So if Jesus just rose spiritually, he rose as a ghost, as a phantasm, as a pneuma, ruach, whatever you want to call it, and he left his body behind, where did the body go? Doesn't make sense. Resurrection involves, by necessity, the body. That Jesus' body got up with Jesus' rational human soul in it, and they walked out together a unified living human being on that first Easter Sunday morning. Third, John again, I want you to look in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. But one of the elders said to me, this is John having a vision now, Do not weep. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, in other words, Jesus, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. We could talk all day long about the rest of that symbolism, but we know Jesus is not literally a lamb. He is a symbolic lamb, that he was the sacrifice given on our behalf. But John sees this lamb as though it had been slain. Let me ask you a question. When the Romans hung Jesus on the cross, did they hang him with the nails through his body or through his soul? When they put the spear into his side, did they put the spear into his body or into his soul? When they offered the sour wine and gall, did they offer it to his body or to his soul? They offered all of these things to his body. So Jesus' soul is not going to have nail prints. Jesus' soul has never tasted sour wine and gall. Jesus' soul has never been pierced with a Roman spear. So if John is seeing the lamb as though it had been slain, he is seeing Jesus inhabiting his human body. Jesus physically rose from the grave. Now, why am I hammering this home? Well, if we weren't going through a global pandemic right now, I guarantee you that at some point in the last week, especially for those of you living in some kind of town, for those of you out in the country, maybe not. But I guarantee you at some point in the last week or two, if there was not a global pandemic going on, you would have had some Jehovah's Witness come and knock on your door and offer you some pamphlet about Easter wherein they have a whole lot of good words about how the resurrection really happened. But if you read the fine print, it says that Jesus had a spiritual resurrection and that God the Father took away his body, that he did not actually rise in his body. Now that's a big problem uh, that, they, that they have right there. If you ask a JW, uh, today if Jesus rose from the dead, they'll tell you he rose as a spirit, not in the flesh. But this is their own translation of Scripture. It's from the New World Translation. Note that I'm putting translation in quotations, okay? It's, it's, it's garbage. Uh, but New World Translation, their version of Luke 24, 39. See how different this sounds from ours. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, just as you see that I have. I read that from theirs. It's pretty similar, isn't it? Right down to the point where Jesus says, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So to avoid the difficulty that this causes, what the Jehovah's Witness will do is, is explain that Jesus like other angelic creatures, they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe he is a God-like creature. They'll say like other angelic creatures in the Bible, he took on a fleshly form to convince his disciples that he was alive. This is what the JWs believe. That they don't believe he's God. They don't believe he's eternally preexistent. They don't believe he's fully God and fully man the way scripture teaches. They don't believe that after he was executed, three days later, he walked out of the tomb in his own body. They believe that his body got moved, we know not where, by God the Father, and he didn't actually walk out because spirits don't have to walk. But his disciples wouldn't believe he was actually alive unless they saw him in a body. So he just kind of materialized one around himself, showed up, told them, hey, look, see, I'm alive. You can touch my, you can touch my slain body. You can see the nail prints and in, in, in the spears. And they went, oh my goodness, my Lord and my God, Jesus is alive. But then he leaves and ditches the body that he doesn't have anyway. He just put it on to fake them out into believing that he's alive because they wouldn't otherwise. We have a word for that where I came from. It's called lying. If you believe in the Jehovah's Witness version of Jesus, you believe that Jesus lied to convince his closest disciples he was actually alive. Now that doesn't sound like a sinless sacrifice to me. That sounds like a liar. So Jesus had to rise from the grave or what? What does it mean if he did not bodily walk out of that grave that day? What does it mean if the Jehovah's Witnesses are right? What if Jesus is just spiritually alive in our hearts? Well, what's Paul say? 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, listen to this then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we're also found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So Paul is saying if Jesus is not alive, if Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, then what are you even doing watching this video? You're going to waste approximately 40 minutes of your life because if Jesus is not alive, nothing that I say matters. If Jesus is not alive, we're lying because we said that God, his father, raised him from the dead. Also, if Jesus is not physically alive, then God's not his father because the reason we believe that claim Jesus made is because he's alive. But if dead people don't rise, then not only am I lying about what God has testified, not only is my preaching useless, not only am I still in my sins, guess what? Everybody else who died with their faith in Christ, they blew hell wide open. 
Your sweet, sainted grandma who believed in Jesus her whole life and you've got all these great memories of her taking you to church and taking you to Sunday school and reading Bible with you. If Jesus' body never walked out of that tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, that grandma's in hell because she had her faith in a risen Christ. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is worthless. If you believe in some version of Christianity that does not involve a physically risen Christ, then you do not believe in a biblical version of Christianity. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So <clears throat> I'm going to leave this up here for just a minute while I give you a couple of notes on this that you need to, you need to think about. So you might read this verse and say, well, pastor, I don't see where this verse talks about the resurrection anywhere. It does, because it talks about Jesus being human. It says, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. In other words, every flesh that confesses what the Bible teaches about Jesus. In other words, that the eternally preexistent second person of the Trinity, the Son of God himself, added to his deity humanity. And the already existent, already God, second person of the Trinity, took on flesh in the womb of Mary and became the man, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm not saying that's when the second person of the Trinity began to exist. I'm saying that every human being has a beginning of existence, and the human man we know as Jesus began that first Christmas, and that second person of the Trinity became inseparably the man Jesus Christ at that point. That from then on, everything about him, he is all God, yes, but he's also all man. Anything that is part and parcel to humanity is part and parcel of him now. So, <coughs> excuse me, practice good hygiene, cough into your elbows. So he's never going, he's never again going to cease to be human. He continues being God, but he will also continue eternally being a resurrected human being. That's never going to change. Okay? So no human is alive in a complete sense that does not have his or her body. You say, well, wait a minute. Are you telling me the folks in heaven are not alive right now? No, I'm saying it maybe in one sense they're alive. But if that was the only type of life that God intended them to have, then why is God so concerned for the rest of Scripture in a final bodily resurrection? That God intends humanity to be the way He created it. When God created humanity, He created us to have, excuse me, to have an immaterial component, which we know is the soul, and a material component, which we know is the body. Death is the separation of those two components. When we die, the soul is severed from the body and goes either to the presence of the Lord or to hell. That is death. The body dies and is separated from the soul and the soul goes to somewhere else. Okay, that's what death is. So a resurrection 
is the restoration of the natural state. It is the reunification of that soul that was severed and the body that stayed here, that it gets put back together. That's what a human resurrection is. So for Jesus, a human, to be truly alive again in the way that God designed humans to be alive, his human body and human soul would have to be reunited. And that's exactly what happened on the first Easter. That's what human resurrection is. There's no category in the Bible for a spiritual resurrection. The, JW, the JWs are just making that up. They're making up a spiritual resurrection. I don't even know what that is. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like for a spirit to die? Are you telling me that Jesus died a human but came back a spirit? No, Jesus died a human and came back a human. Not saying he's not also God. But let's not forget, Jesus took on flesh. That's exactly what John said. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Jesus took on flesh. He became human. So to say that Jesus experienced a resurrection but his body stayed dead? No. No human can be resurrected without his or her body. It goes against the definitions of both human, a two-part immaterial and material being, goes against the definition of human, and it goes against the definition of a resurrection, which is the reunification of a divided soul and body. This is to say that you don't believe in a physical resurrection, that you believe Jesus rose some other way. He's alive in my heart. He's alive as a spirit. He's alive some other way. But that body, that body, bless it, it died. What a beautiful sacrifice, but that body is no more. But Jesus is alive in my heart. If that's the way that you believe Jesus was resurrected, you in no way, shape, or form are a Christian because a human resurrection means body, soul, reunited, now alive again. If Jesus rose some other way, then he is not a human. And if you don't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, what does John say you are? Antichrist. You are anti-Christian to say that Jesus rose some other way than literally bodily on that first Easter Sunday morning. Jesus is alive and he is a fully living human being. The God-man is alive again. And that is why we are celebrating on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus Christ conquered death and because he bodily rose, we believe that we will bodily rise as well. If Jesus' body is in that tomb today, then you have no hope to believe that God's going to bring yours out. So Jesus is alive and he is human. And then finally, Jesus is alive and he is compassionate. When you look at verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Isn't this human? Isn't this great? When you see somebody that you haven't seen in a long time, what's the first thing you want to do? Hey, can we go sit down? Can we get something to eat together? While they still didn't believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Y'all, in what world have you ever seen or even fathomed a spirit eating? Food is physical. Food is physical. That's something that God designed. That the first place we hear about food is in the garden, that God creates a physical garden and puts a physical family in it. He puts Adam and Eve in it. And he says, of every tree in the garden, you may eat food. 
Except that one over there. We won't get into that right now. But he gave them all these other trees and said, there's food here for you. That food is a physical blessing. It is a good thing. One day, Jimmy Williams is going to be hailed as a prophet because I will be a little fat preacher because of how much I loved food. Food is good. And ghosts don't eat food. Spirits don't eat food. Numa, Ruach, whatever you want to call them. Spirits don't eat food. Only physical beings eat food. So Jesus says, you want to know that I'm alive. You want to know that I'm physical. You want to know that it's really me. Do you have any food around here? I'd love to eat a bite with you guys. So they bring him some fish and some honeycomb, and he eats it in front of them. So <clears throat> Jesus knew that his disciples were going to have a hard time with this. They didn't really have a category for this. They hadn't ever experienced anything like it. So he does this as a help to them so that they can understand, no, Jesus is really alive again. In a very real, understandable sense, Jesus is alive. Is alive. The good news is, the living Christ has compassion for you. He took the time to, to prove to us little, fallen, finite-minded human beings that he's actually alive, and he shows up doing human things like eating fish and eating honeycomb, which sounds really good to me right now. But wait a minute. Josh, he hasn't done that with me. Jesus has never appeared in my house and say, hey, give me a, give me a Dr. Pepper and some Cheez-Its. You know, Jesus has never done that. I've never had that experience where I can, you know, physically see him. How, you, these men that saw him, yeah, maybe they were real, maybe they weren't. They lived so long ago. How can I be sure? Well, let me, let me just point something out to you and remind you of it right now. That to a man, every single apostle in this room, Every single one of them that Jesus goes and he shows them this fish and this honeycomb. You remember the 11 are in this room. Judas is not the, is not the 12 because Judas betrayed Jesus. He's already dead. Um, he's, he's hanged himself. He's no longer part of the, the group of disciples. The other 11 are in there. To a man, every single apostle in this room died a martyr's death except for John. He died of old age, but only after an extended exile on the Isle of Patmos. Every single one of those men suffered unbelievably because they would not recant their testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. If you were lying about something, would you continue that lie? And you knew it was a lie. If you knew that this was just flights of fancy, you were just making it up, it wasn't real, if you knew that you were die, about to die because of that, wouldn't you say, hey, 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 hang on, fellas. Hang on. We all know this is a joke. Let me go. I'll hush. You can go about your life. I can go about mine. This is not that big of a deal. Wouldn't you do that? Are you willing to die for something you know is a lie? And yet they didn't. You've got to ask yourself, why would those men subject themselves to torture and death for something that they knew was false. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3, says that which is from the beginning, listen to this, this is from a man that was in this room, which we've heard with our ears, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's one of John's uh, names for Jesus. 
The life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Did you notice all of the sensory words? All of the ways that John goes out of his way to tell you, we saw this man, we heard this man, we touched this man. He's alive, he's real. We wouldn't be doing this if he wasn't. That Jesus gave us evidence. He just gave it to us a long time ago. And then finally, look at what the apostles do in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. So they've, they've gotten in trouble for, their, for preaching Jesus out in public. Uh, they're, they're fomenting religious uprising and, and, and fervor that's making the, the religious leaders of the day nervous. So they called them, this, they called the apostles, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now this is the same Peter that on Good Friday, just because people associated him with Jesus, he cowered in the face of two servant girls and unarmed bystanders. And now he's being threatened and he's not willing to back off because he knows something. His response is, Jesus is alive. I'm much more concerned about what he thinks than about what you do. So whether or not I need to be listening to you or the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that's got to be for you to decide. But I am going to listen to him. It's a complete change of character in Peter. It's a whiplash change of character in Peter. He always had a big mouth and he always popped off before he thought about it. But now he's actually following through. What do you think did that? I'll tell you what did that. He knew Jesus was alive. That Jesus was compassionate enough to know that we were going to have trouble. So he gave us proof. And that proof is there for anybody who wants to open their Bible and do their research. I dare you. There have been plenty of men throughout history that opened their Bibles and looked at historical records and looked at medical information and looked at science intending to disprove the resurrection. And a bunch of them have come away Christians because they are convinced of the truth of it. I invite you to do that. I can help you find resources if you want to explore that. But for those of you who are Christians, celebrate today because Jesus is alive. It doesn't matter if you're in your home, if you're in your living room, if you're watching this in your phone, if you're, you know, you know, maybe you're driving a truck somewhere and you're pulled over on the side of the road and you somehow found this sermon. Jesus is alive and you can celebrate that wherever you are. And you should be celebrating that wherever you are. Because Jesus lives, you can live. Because Jesus is alive, you can be alive. Because Jesus was raised, you can be raised. Because Jesus is victorious, you can have that victory. And all you have to do is confess your sin to him. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You could pray a prayer something like this. You could say, God, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner my whole life and I don't deserve a place in heaven, but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and I believe that's exactly what he did. 
I believe they buried him, but I believe three days later he rose again. I believe that he is enough for me and that he was enough of a substitute for me. And I want to be his now. I want him to be my Savior and Lord, and I want to follow him the rest of the days of my life. And I believe that you will bring me into your kingdom by virtue of what Jesus did. You can pray a prayer like that. It doesn't have to be those exact words, but you can pray that and begin walking with the Lord Jesus today and have the guarantee that you one day will see the risen Christ as well. And as he lives, so will you. I love you guys. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to make some announcements and then we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for giving us your son to die and thank you for giving us your son alive again. Lord, we thank you for the, the hope that we have in that life. I pray if there's anybody listening, watching today, following along, however they are, Lord, that if they're lost, if they don't know Jesus, you would introduce them to him today, Father. Um, and Lord, for those of us who already uh, know you, King Jesus, uh, Lord, help us just to dwell on the fact that you're alive and you're with us, that you filled us with your spirit, and you, you will never depart from us. You'll never leave us, even to the end of the age. You're always with us. So we love you, King Jesus, and we thank you for everything you, you have done and are continuing to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, uh, hello, uh, announcements, anyone? No? Okay, well, guess what? We have technical difficulties. My announcements did not load. <laughs> so I can go ahead and just tell you what they are. Um, first and foremost, if you've found this, you may see it on Facebook, you may see it on our website. Um, I want you to Connect with us over at our website at stapletonbaptist.org. It's exactly like I just pronounced it, stapletonbaptist.org. You can go there to find all of our sermons along with our handouts, uh, little Bible studies. We've got a blog uh, where we're going through. We're reading Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan together. You can jump in. Uh, you can read that. I've got links to the free ebook right there. You can jump in and read that with us and, and chime in in the comments and enjoy a Christian classic. So uh, come connect with us at stapletonbaptist.org. That'll be an easy way for you to contact me as well if you're interested in coming to know Christ or, or being part of our family here at Stapleton Baptist. Uh, also, uh, if you didn't find this on Facebook, I encourage you to follow us on Facebook at, at facebook.com backslash um, stapletonbaptistga. Um, backslash Stapleton Baptist uh, GA. We had to put the GA on the end because there's a Stapleton, Alabama too. Um, so uh, that's facebook.com backslash Stapleton Baptist GA. Um, like our page there, follow us. You get updates there um, on a regular basis. That's probably the first place I post when I post the updates. And then they go out through our website and our email digest later. So uh, check in with us at Facebook or facebook.com backslash Stapleton Baptist GA. Um, I love you guys. Um, hope you guys have a great Easter. Uh, stay safe, and we'll see y'all back here as soon as we possibly can. Christ is risen. He is risen.